0: Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute.
1: Well, welcome back one and all. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm your host, Ryan Aris, and Joe Boot is not here with us this week, uh, but I'm uh, very privileged to be joined by Kyle Thompson. Kyle Thompson is a native of Oklahoma, and he's the founder of Undaunted Life, And the the mission of Undaunted Life, for those of you who are not aware of Kyle, is to equip men to push back the darkness. And they do this by providing content that leads men to forge spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Kyle's the host of Undaunted Life, a man's podcast, where he tackles hot-button issues on faith, culture, and politics where most pastors won't go near, like the lack of true masculinity in the church, supposed toxic masculinity in culture, how to defeat pro-abortion arguments, wokeness and cancel culture, CRT, the LGBTQ plus cultural revolution and more. Mercifully for us, we're not pastors. Uh, so we can, uh, we can get into all of those topics and more. Today on the show, uh, I'm, I've got Kyle here and welcome, by the way. I'm just talking and talking for like a minute and a half. I'm glad you're here. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here, but I will say I feel like y'all set me up a little bit. So you got Joe that's not
0: here for whatever reason. I think it's because I still make fun of him for, you know, his country losing the Revolutionary War and stuff like that. He's still a little salty over that. But now somehow I have to fill up my space as the guest and his space as well. How in the world am I going to sound smart if Joe's not here? Come on, man.
1: They call it a strong second. They finished a strong second in the that's, uh, that's, yeah, that's, they definitely that's got the, the, the silver story. medal. They got the
0: silver medal in the Revolutionary War, but I will say I, I feel a little bit intimidated that I'm going to have to at least pour some of my words into Joe Boot's shoes. But we'll see how it goes.
1: Kyle, we're uh, we're really gra- grateful to uh, to have you here. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure this is going to go great. So we've uh, we've been in touch. We've been tr- we've been trying to pull this off for quite some time. Uh, Joe Boot was on uh, the Undaunted Life podcast uh, a year ago or so, uh, speaking about uh, the book Ruler of Kings, and uh, for, between one thing and another, uh, we are, we're now in second half of May, a year later, and uh, here you are. So we're, uh, anyway, glad, glad that we got you, and uh, this is uh, for all of you who have been listening. We know, And for those of you who haven't, especially, uh, we're in the midst of a series on the Ten Commandments right now. Uh, Kyle and I, we, you've been in touch. Uh, we, t- you knew that we were on this series, and uh, when we were scheduling this, um, I just asked you, is there there's something that, uh, that you'd like to, uh, to speak on? One of these commandments, one portion of the law that, uh, that you'd like to, uh, to deal with specifically? you got back to me and said let's uh, let's deal with the seven com- seventh commandment you shall not murder uh and i guess uh yeah last week uh joe and i dealt with this we touched on what is the biblical definition of murder uh, as opposed to uh, a justified uh taking of life in terms of god's law and god's character uh we dealt with questions of abortion and euthanasia Just spoke about uh Jesus' words on the sermon on in the Sermon on the Mount about murderous thoughts and attitudes, uh, Kyle. I, th- I wanted to just uh, start by throwing it over to you. What is it about this aspect of the law that uh, that's got you interested? That you said of all of all the subjects, I want to deal with this.
0: Yeah, I guess I would say because it's very misunderstood. And so uh being the the sixth commandment. I believe it's the sixth commandment unless uh my memory uh serves me wrong. No, um, you're right. Sec- I said
1: I said seventh, but I was mistaken.
0: <clears throat> well, so it's the second horizontal commandment because you know the first four are vertical. You've heard probably your pastor say something like that, but it's the second horizontal commandment and I I can't assume that it's it's there for no reason. I think it's there for a particular reason. But again, it's a very unfortunate uh, translation that we'll say thou shalt not kill. Because if you take that literally in our modern parlance and how we use English, then we're all pacifists and vegans. Now, that's essentially what, what it means, but it's like, obviously I'm not going to even try to get into the, the, you know, exegeting or looking at the, you know, the original Hebrew or of those types of things. But there is, a, there are different Hebrew words for killing and murder. And there's like seven different words for the types of killing and types of murder. But obviously what's being spoken about here is murder, the shedding of innocent blood. And, I guess the other thing I would say, Ryan, is I have a lot of friends that have killed a lot of people, which is a weird thing to say. But I mean, uh, I have a couple of friends that were in SEAL Team Six, which is the the tippy top upper echelon of the United States military. Uh, one of them killed Osama bin Laden. Another guy I know uh, killed several dozen people. Um, you know, I'm friends with Marines that killed a bunch of people to try and get their you know their guys out of a hot position. I have, I have friends that are uh, Special Forces or Green Berets. These people have killed a lot of people. And one of them specifically is a guy named Bill Rapier, a great Christian man, but the the guy's a very dangerous man as well. And we've kind of gotten lulled to sleep by kind of modern ministry to where we get this idea that in order to be a Christian, you need to be incredibly soft and also incredibly incapable of violence. And I just don't know where where you get something like that, which you know break breaks off into a lot of other different areas uh, that I'm sure we'll get into as we we go throughout the interview. But for me, taking a, a stance like I do that, image bearers of Christ should protect other image bearers of Christ that are being violated physically. Um, that, that's something that's very, very important to me. And it's something that I prepared myself to do. It's something that I train constantly so that when I'm put in that position that I can respond adequately and push back darkness in that situation.
1: And so, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it. Right on. And that, uh, I knew, uh, I knew something about, uh, sort of your, your background and your circle. I wasn't, uh, wasn't aware of those specifics, but that's, uh, that, that's not everybody, uh, who can say that, uh, that make those kind of claims and relationships. Uh, why don't, uh, why don't we start there? Um, you, you've spoke about the, uh, the unfortunate, unfortunate association of killing with, uh, all taking of life. Uh, that's a, uh, that's a perspective that we have in common. I think uh, that uh, most Christians you know, would uh, would say that there are certain situations where the taking of life is justified. Uh, but uh, let's let's deal with this question of uh, you know of war uh, or self defense or even something sort of more targeted where it's the like, the active pursuit of of you know somebody like like a terrorist where. You're. They're not. To, it's not an active self-defense situation. It's not a, uh, an open declaration of war. But it's a targeted pursuit. So what I would say
0: is, if you talk to people that have been in warfare, targeted pursuit is defense in a lot of situations, because there's this idea, and this comes from you know people that have been raised by their mothers or by their wimpy fathers, that you don't hit until you get hit back. Uh, but there's a very famous MMA fighter here in America. His name's Chael Son. And he's like, whoever taught you that has never fought before. Because why would I let you throw the first punch? Because the first punch might end the fight. If you enter my bubble of safety and you, and I get away from you or I push you away and you keep entering my bubble of safety, the best line of self-defense for me is to attack you. Right, And I'm justified in doing so. And so when you talk to these men that have been downrange, that have been in these situations that the the government can't even claim were actually happening because technically we weren't in that country at the time that we were in that country kind of a thing. In those moments, they were defending themselves. They were defending the other members of their teams. And they were also defending us. Right. So that they were keeping these men because we're killing them over there so they don't come over here and kill us or go into countries in Europe and kill them. And so just in general, there, there's a whole lot more we can get into there. But just in general, I would say that sometimes to, to be coy, you know, or, or maybe I don't know how you would say it, but it's just sometimes the best defense is a good offense.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's uh what's really interesting there, uh if- I, I like the way that you put it there to, uh, that we have to, uh, to stop, basically stop them before they come for us, uh, knowing that there right. is an active will to, uh, to come for us. Um, it's really interesting. Obviously the, uh, you know, these are military actions. These are actions taken on behalf of, of the state of our, uh, our civil government and the, the military, uh. What's really interesting, we can talk about that in a sort of a military overseas terror context, but there's a totally different mindset, it, se- it seems to me, uh, and uh, this is probably especially more so because I'm in Canada, but uh, there's a totally different mindset when it comes to people on the ground and the, the, uh, you know, the role of our, uh, our prison system uh so we've uh, here in Canada uh, i don't know if you know this you'd you'd have no reason to know it but uh there we don't have capital crimes there aren't any i know that mm, uh, there are that. there are still a uh, a handful in the states depending on wh- which state but uh, there's there's no uh no ca- no capital punishment uh, in Canada um and that is uh like look looking at that strictly biblically that is the state, uh, abdicating, that is the state not fulfilling, uh, its appointed role in punishing evil. Uh, maybe, and m- maybe you can just enlighten me. What is the, uh, what is the general American attitude, uh, towards, uh, towards capital punishment? Uh, I, and how does that jive? Is that, is that a disconnect just because I'm here in a, in a different, uh, different context or, or do you have some of that there? I
0: would say there's a, yeah. I would say there's a little bit of a disconnect. Uh, I would, if I would venture to guess, cause I don't know the, 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 the stats are off the top of my head that the majority of the people in America are not for capital punishment because they've been convinced that many of the people in death row are actually innocent. You know, they'll right. watch some documentary that'll selectively edit things out. We had one of those situations here in Oklahoma a couple of years ago where a murderer, uh, had his sentence commuted like the day before he was supposed to be executed. And I was making the argument that this man should be dead right now. He took a life in, in cold blood and he should pay the penalty of death for that. The thing that I think is interesting is in this country, we all do univariate analysis. Okay. We love to do univariate analysis. This thing happened. This is the reason why. And we don't like to go any deeper than that. So if you ask someone, Hey, are you for capital punishment? They'll say yes or no without really thinking about it. And then they'll be like, Oh, well, I don't really know about that situation. Biblically, I can defend the death penalty for people that kill other people. Right. But -hmm. for me personally, I think rapists and pedophiles should be executed as well. I don't have a biblical reason for that, aside from the fact that sexual sin is set apart from all the other sins in scripture and how it's described. It's the only sin that's against someone's body. And if you are violating someone else's bodily autonomy and you know, you're know you violating the Imago Dei, I think that you should lose your life for that. But I'm reminded of something in Ecclesiastes 8, where it's talking about, or I actually have it up here, but it's Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. My Mm. biggest problem with capital punishment in the United States is that we don't have an express lane. So you are convicted for murder. And we only kill people for killing people. And there usually have to be extenuating circumstances. Like you killed multiple people. Uh, you raped one before you killed them or after you killed them, you kidnapped them and tortured them first. Those are the crimes for which, uh, in the States that have capital punishment, that we will say somebody deserves to die. But then what happens? They have an appeal. And then what happens? They have another appeal. And then they might get another appeal. And then they're on death row for decades The the American taxpayer is paying for this person to be alive for decades and decades and decades. And then at the last minute, the governor will typically commute their sentence and they're not actually killed. And you'll see these people, typically leftist people, typically people more liberal, saying, oh, well, capital punishment doesn't work. Look at these states that have capital punishment and look at their crime rates. And again, they do univariate analysis. But can you imagine, Ryan, if you're convicted by a jury of your peers for murdering somebody, your appeal starts tomorrow, right, I'm being a little bit ridiculous. I'm suspending belief here. Your appeal starts tomorrow. And if you don't win your appeal, you are executed that day. Mm -hmm. So let your family Mm -hmm. know, let anybody that cares that you're still a person know that, look, I'm getting my judgment today at noon. And if it doesn't go my way, I will be executed by two o'clock. Like think about that type of scenario. And you might get people that are going to think twice about doing that murder via passion or some sort of a premeditated type of a situation, but we don't live in that world, Ryan. And so there there's a whole lot more to that and a whole lot more tendrils that kind of come off a story like that. But in this country, we have capital punishment, but I think we do it wrongly.
1: Mm-hmm. Nope. And that's uh, that that's part of why we're here uh, having this conversation so that we can, uh, we can dig into some of these, uh, some of these tendrils, some of these, uh, these nuances, and because as you're uh, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking the uh, our our modern our modern penitentiary system. Uh, as you we've we've talked about the uh, you know the drain drain on the taxpayer, uh, the, uh, the the modern penitentiary system. As like I said, the the word penitent is right in there. This is not the biblical vision for a prison. A prison is you know historically and biblically a a temporary holding cell like you're there for you know an afternoon a day a couple weeks while your case is being deliberated so that you can't skip town until Mm -hmm. sentence is carried out the sentencing is not meant to be 20 years in prison like incarceration in and of itself is not a biblical punishment
0: I think the other thing that's very important with that, Ryan, is what people don't understand about the prison system. And yes, there are problems with the prison system. I, I don't mean to, uh, to to be dismissive of that, mm-hmm. but it's punishment at the end of the day, right? That, mm-hmm. That's what it is. But also it's to protect the general public from you. And yeah. so like just here recently, I spoke at a maximum security prison in Pennsylvania, and this is murderers, rapists, pedophiles, kidnappers, gangbangers. This is where most of MS-13 that is incarcerated in America is in this prison, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm right there in the middle of it. But what I told these guys, as I said, look, you guys have crossed the laws of man. That's why you're here. That's why I get to leave and you can't, right? But all of us have crossed the laws of God. So in that way, we are brothers, and you could be under lock and key, but you can still be free if you have Christ. But if you don't have Christ, it doesn't matter if you're behind bars or not. Eventually you're screwed. And so, but, but again, like that, that's, you know, kind of the prison ministry aspect. But again, we look at, you know, prison like, oh man, these people don't really have rights. One of my buddies, that's a retired Navy SEAL. He says, prison is way too soft. And people are like, how could you say that? People are killed in prison. People are raped in prison. But it's like, these prisoners are way too comfortable. Like it's It should be, to a degree, a miserable experience that they should never want to repeat, and that yep. would have a direct effect on the recidivism rates. Again, Holy. that's kind of hard to talk about it, but specifically, he said prisons should be really cold, because cold makes a coward of a lot of people. And he's like, the fact that these prisons are comfortably heated and cooled— like again, to some of these guys, they're safer in prison and they're going to get more food in prison than they would have gotten on the street. Right. And so again, this isn't really a podcast debating whether we're doing uh, penitentiaries or prisons or, or jails correctly. But yeah, I think that there's a lot of problems that go into it, but we, we just don't really follow any set doctrine.
1: Right. No, I think, uh, I, I appreciate that comment. And uh, I think there's a lot of agreement here, uh, across this, uh, this table here anyway. Uh, Kyle, maybe we can uh, mash up some of these, a couple of these threads that uh, that we've had so far. I want to ask: so, theologically, biblically, uh, socially, what uh, what do you see as our responsibility when the state will not fulfill its appointed role in punishing evil? Man, that is an enormous question. Uh,
0: Are you saying like? the state allows a murderer to go free because they had really good lawyers. Like, can you give me a little bit right. more specifics there? Cause I want to make sure I'm sure. in the same vein as you are.
1: Okay. Sure. Yeah. I, uh, that's uh, that, I mean, that's as, that's as specific as I got, but I mean, it's, uh, the, we, we know that, uh, part of, part of the reason that, uh, the death penalty is required for murder in scripture is that, uh, you, you know, you have, you've defaced and marred and destroyed an image bearer of god uh, right no, there's no there's no coming back from it like there's no restitution possible for in the case of murder sure. um what uh, so i guess wh- where where the state and i think i think we agree that it is it is the role of the state uh, to bear the role of the civil magistrate to bear the sword it is the state's responsibility to put, to, to put murderers to death. It's not the job of the family, which is just, you know, mob justice. It's not right, the job of agree. the church. Um, but, uh, where, where you've got, where you've got a state, uh, where you've got a justice system that, uh, that refuses or declines to prosecute, mm. uh, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, whether that, that guy is back on the street or what, uh, okay. You know, what's the, yeah, what's, uh, yeah. what's the, what's the role?
0: Right. So th- this may seem like a little bit of a stretch, but, but follow me here. I think the role for us is to be ready, willing, and trained for self-defense. That, that is one of the, the main things here. Um, <clears throat> there's only been one time in my life, Ryan, where I thought I was going to have to take a life. Uh, So uh, I know this is probably going to sound like a completely different language to Canadians and and the English folk, but I conceal carry, which means when I'm out in public, I have a firearm on me. Now, I'm not looking around like paranoid and like looking around corners and lifting up lids of trash cans waiting for a terrorist to pop out. But the thing is, is it's a tool like you're not going to find a carpenter at a job site without his hammer or his saws. Just like for me, that's a tool that I would rather have and not need than to need and not have. But to to kind of speed up the story, I was sitting in a restaurant and there was a man outside that I could see. I typically position myself where I can see the door and he doesn't seem right for the area. There's something off about him. He's screaming by himself. He comes up to the window and he puts his fingers like in the, the shape of a gun and he starts pretending like he's shooting the patrons of the restaurant with his finger gun. But he's got a backpack and he's got a lot of pockets on the clothes that he's wearing. And in that moment, the moment he walked through the front door, I had my hand on my firearm. I told the guy I was having lunch with to shut up. And I said, I need to focus on this situation right now. Because in that moment, nobody else was paying attention to this crazy person that just walked through the door. Only I was. So how the scenario played out is the guy walked around pretending like he was, you know, looking for a table, but he was looking at everybody in the restaurant, but then he decided that he wanted to leave. Okay. But in that moment, Let's say he had pulled out a gun or pulled out a knife. In that exact moment, there is no time for a prayer circle. There's no time for a Bible study. There's no time for me, a hey, pause. I would like to pull out my John MacArthur commentary and and give you what he says about murder and the taking of innocent life. There's no time for any of that. You have an image bearer of Christ that is about to destroy other image bearers of Christ. And so in that moment, I was prepared mentally and physically to take that life in order to preserve life. Most Christians, specifically Christian men, have never even thought through that scenario. And the problem is, is when you put yourself in that scenario, you will fall to the level of your training. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that think, well, you know, if I get into a physical altercation, you know, I'm probably just going to see red and, you know, all of a sudden I'll know how to fight. No, that's not what happens in a fight. You freak out, Mm -hmm. you freeze. Like that's what happens in in a life or death situation or a fight or flight situation. A lot of people just freeze up. They clam up because they've never reckoned with the mental capacity of, do I have what it takes to take a life? Do I have what it takes to take a life? Am I willing to take a life in the right circumstances? But also, and we see this in Exodus, you know, it kind of talks about a more meeked approach. You know, if someone breaks in in the middle of the night, like, you know, you will not have any, any, uh uh, guilt for that blood that is shed. But if they break in during the day, it's kind of a more tempered approach. That's why I trained jujitsu because if I have a gun and I'm a, you know, fatso that doesn't know how to like take anybody down to the ground and hold them there. What Mm. am I left with pulling out my gun and shooting somebody? But what if I can stop somebody from doing harm just with my body? That's what I should do because I should want to preserve the most amount of life possible. So if I can take someone to the ground and hold them there until help or the police arrive, That is what I think is incumbent upon us to do. But how many Christians, Ryan, have you heard say anything like that? Have you heard a single person with pastor in their title talk about how their flock should be ready to shed blood in order to protect the rest of the flock? That's a sheepdog mindset because wolves exist. Closing your eyes and plugging your ears doesn't keep the wolves at bay. It's sheepdogs that keep the wolves at bay because not every person is going to be a sheepdog. Most people will be sheep, but if you don't have somebody that is ready to push back the wolf, the wolf will kill the sheep. It happens all the time.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was just uh, just remembering uh, speaking with a uh, there's a, a guy I know is uh, is big in the uh, the prepper community. He speaks at prepper conferences. Mm-hmm. And just this uh, this uh, matter of being physically ready, it just reminded me of something he said, that he, he was at these at one of these events, and he was looking around the room after he had been there for most of the day, and he said to them, look, a lot of you guys, you need to sell one of your guns and take out a gym membership.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I, t- I talked to a guy, Ryan, that um, I-, I asked him. <laughs> Uh, we were talking about fighting and concealed carry and those types of things. And Mm. he's a fat old guy who can barely move. And, uh, he doesn't have to be that he's chosen to be that he hasn't chosen to be old, but he's chosen to be fat and out of shape. And, you know, we talked about it and he's like, Kyle, I'm not going to need to know how to fight. I've got one of these. And he pulls up his shirt and shows me his firearm. I was like, cool. What if you're going to fight at the airport? Mm -hmm. What if you are flying somewhere else? And now you're there now and you don't have your firearm with you. What's the plan? right? Because now you're at the mercy of the wolf. And now you are hoping to God you're in an area that has the common grace of a police force that will answer the 911 call and be their lickety split. But now you're putting yourself in a situation where when seconds matter, help is minutes away. Mm-hmm. Like, And I'm sorry, I'm not willing to outsource my violence to the government. I'm just not. Now, obviously, I don't serve in the military. So to a degree, I'm outsourcing my violence of the US military to somebody else. But if someone's broken into my home, And they intend to do me harm, or if I'm in public and they intend to do me or anyone around me harm, help isn't just there. Like, this isn't the Jetsons. We don't just snap our fingers and help arrives. Like, help is not there. You are your first line of defense. But yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that if you don't glorify God with your body in a physical way and take care of the only body that He gave you, you know, a price that was paid for for that body, that's not a good thing. But again, if God needs you to help protect his flock in that moment and you can't run to the edge of the block, like that, that you're a non-dangerous man and a non-dangerous man is not a virtuous man. He's a
1: useless man. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's actually that, uh, that gets at a very theological principle that, uh, just to get right back to our text here. Uh, so the, in, in the 10 commandments, one of the things that, uh, that Joe Boot has been saying, uh, over the past few weeks, especially, is that you've got a, the negative prohibition: you, know, you shall not murder. Uh, but that that also enjoins the positive opposite. So, what uh, what you're describing here? Uh, when we say "do not murder," we're also called to look out for the life of our fellow man. It's not enough for me to like. I'm I'm not murdering you right now. It's very easy, but. Uh, Right. That's not. uh, That's not. Thereby fulfilling the uh, the sixth commandment. Like, am I actively looking out for for the life of those uh, those fellow image bearers? Um, And I think that you're uh, you're getting getting at the the principle in a or you showing showing a very real uh, relevant application of that principle.
0: When I think most people, so. As some people in your audience will likely have seen this, but I was on Justin Briarly's show, Unbelievable, I believe it was last year, and I was opposite Shane Claiborne. And so Shane mm. Claiborne is a is a very progressive pastor, but his job is he goes around the United States on tour and he convinces Christians and just regular citizenry to turn in their firearms. And the reason why he says to do this is because he looks at Isaiah 2. And he's, uh, it's Isaiah two, four, where it's talking about, you know, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and, you know, their spears into pruning hooks and those types of things. And he extrapolates that out completely out of context and says weapons in and of themselves are bad. And so he and I have this dust up on Justin's show. And one of the first things I asked, like, you know, Justin asked me my first question. I basically disregard it. I say to Shane, I was like, Hey, when people come up on stage and they hand you their firearm and you destroy it right there in front of them, which is what they do when they walk away, are they more safe or less safe than before they did that? And he gave this mealy mouth kind of like uh, who's a whatever, like uh, response to it. But the reality is in the binary that I gave him, they're clearly less safe. And if I'm the wolf and I saw a sheep just go up and, and give out and give away his force multiplier like I'm definitely going to be looking at that person especially if they're a weak man or a woman. I'm like great, the odds of me being hurt now have gone down considerably. There's mm-hmm. my next target. And again, it it when you look at Isaiah 2, the, the key to Isaiah 2 is it's not us that will turn our swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks or whatever else was said there in scripture. It's Christ. It's Christ doing that. That's not our job to do those things. And also, you see like until Christ comes back and and retakes his throne. Warfare and violence will continue until until the Prince of Peace returns. And that's you know Isaiah nine, I believe. Like until that time, we're going to be in this world, not in this optimal world where you know the lion lays down with the lamb and everybody has their best interests at heart. And the interesting thing about that conversation, Ryan, is I put him to a scenario in that conversation because he lives in Philadelphia, really really rough city, lots of Mm -hmm. murder. I said, okay, you don't have any kids, but you have a wife. So you and your wife are dead asleep, middle of the night, and you hear the glass break. Okay. Philadelphia police does not respond quickly. Okay. That's well known. Now, I think the average response time for nine one one in America is about seven minutes. Okay. So that's across the board. So someone is in your house and a general rule of thumb is unless you're in the UK because they don't have any firearms, so people just break in whenever. But in America, if you break into someone's house during the day, it's because you want their stuff because you assume they're not there. If you break in at night, it's because you want their stuff and them. That's what you want. And so I told him, someone breaks in, they're there for you. They want to do damage to you. And you walk into your bedroom, right? And you see the man there and he's between you and your wife. What are you going to do? Well, I would call the police and I would blah, blah. And I was like, hey, okay, you got seven minutes until Philadelphia PD arrives. He's about to assault your wife. What do you do? And I kept pushing. He kept pushing. He kept trying to get out of it. And finally, Ryan, he's like, I would do anything I could. I would, I would grab a chair. Or I would blah, blah, blah. So I got him to admit that he was willing to use violence to protect his wife. And after I snared, because I snared him, it was super easy because I knew where, where his mindset was going to take him. After I snared him, I said, that's where you and I agree, Shane. You and I don't want the fight between the sheep and the wolf to be fair but I don't want it to be fair in my favor and you don't want it to be fair in his favor because he probably Mm -hmm. didn't just walk into your house with, you know, a ham sandwich, you know, and in a copy of Othello, he probably walked in with a firearm or a knife. And in that scenario, I want my firearm and my training to be bigger, badder, and more lethal because there's someone's going to die and I will be damned if it's me or someone in my household but again no one really thinks in that way because we just go around assuming people are generally good and people are generally nice and the reality couldn't be any more to the opposite
1: mhm yeah no you're uh, it's you're right it's it's an attitude that uh, totally flies in the face of everything that we learn about the depravity of man from scripture right um, <clears throat> and actually that's uh, that that prompts another question um we we mentioned already the uh, you know the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says you know you've heard that it was said you shall not murder, but then again in uh, you know as is so characteristic in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes that command he gets and he gets at the heart issue. He actually intensifies it. Uh, he says that this is this command is not just you sit o- you can sit over here and I can sit over there and we just won't murder each other. Yeah, you you, uh, you need to be. Uh, again, pursuing the good of your brother and you, you can't be hating your brother in your heart. Uh, so he's the, the point is that you know, murder, murder begins in the heart. Uh, you use the, you know, the vivid illustration that, uh, somebody goes up on stage and hands over, makes a display of handing over a firearm, uh, somebody, you know, a wolf who's watching that there's uh, there's murder beginning in the heart there. Um, I guess may may speak uh, speak to ourselves, speak to our our own um, discipline and sanctification. How do we how do we be prepared uh, for uh, you know for the worst, uh, even the possibility of using lethal force, and at the same time guarding against a murderous heart. So that that's a hard thing because when you talk about you know everyone
0: who hates his brother is a murderer. I remember talking to Bill Rapier, who I mentioned on this podcast already, I believe, uh, a very, great. very, very devout Christian, uh, but became a Navy SEAL. And his job is to kill bad guys. Like, that's your right. job as a Navy SEAL. Your job isn't to be good at pull-ups. Your job is to kill bad guys. And that's something that he wrestled with when he was downrange, is when he killed some of these, some of these terrorists that were trying to kill him and his buddies, he felt nothing. Like, he he felt absolutely nothing. Like, he wasn't sorrowful. He wasn't sad. He wasn't anything. And I think that's a pretty good place to be because that's his job and work is under the Lord. And, you know, he was certainly doing that. But he did get to a place, and many of these guys get to this place where they they don't just want to kill the enemy because they're bad. They hate the enemy. So they want to kill them because they're bad. Hmm. And I think that's something that all of us have to war against but it goes right back to whenever I spoke in that prison. I, I know for a fact I shook hands with one guy who's killed four people, okay? So he has four bodies on his record. He's never going to see the outside of Lewisburg prison, right? Mm-hmm. If I was in his family or in the, I was in the family of one of the men that he had killed, I would probably hate him. But there's an amazing story that my, my pastor buddy, Joby Martin, as of the recording of this, he's got a new book out called Anything is Possible. Uh, he's a pastor out of Florida that, that I deeply respect and have uh, gained a great friendship with. He describes the story in that book, and I won't give out all the details because it's a book that you should pick up and read. But there was a man whose son was killed in cold blood. And the, the young man that killed him was convicted, and I think, given life in prison. I forget what state it was in. I think it was Florida, but convicted given life in prison. And the father of the slain young man, the first time he laid eyes on his son's murderer in court, his very first thought was, I love that boy. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I have two sons and I get like choked up talking about, I got a two-year-old and a one-year-old. And his, his default thought when he saw his son's murderer was, I think I'm supposed to love him. I, and I do. I love him. And to speed the story up just a little bit, he writes his son's murderer a letter in jail. Like, this is so crazy. This is a crazy story, Ryan. And he tells this young man who doesn't have a father, shock of all shocks, this young man doesn't have a father. He says, look, I I, I forgive you for what you did to my son. I miss my son dearly. I wish you hadn't have taken him. But I, I want to be your father. If you would have me, I would love to care for you for as long as I'm able to, you know, and, and be like your father on this earth. And, you know, the, the guy responded and, you know, the, the, the young man, the murderer was just overwhelmed by it. But then they met up and like, they had this tear filled, almost like reunion between a father and a son who had never met before. Right. Um, And it was just this incredible experience And I think that's a good example that kind of, you know, aligns with your question, which is that's a way to, to fight against your murderous heart is to put yourself like I've played the scenario out in my head about a million times about what I would do if somebody was about to attack or kill me or anybody else in my family. Mm -hmm. But I haven't ran that same scenario for what if I'm not good enough to stop it? Or what if I'm not there and someone kills my wife or my sons, do I have the capacity to not hate that person? Uh, When you see these people, I think Dylan Roof, he was that white supremacist that went in and shot up uh, that church years ago, that black church here in the United States. Within 24 hours, the members of that church, of the slain family members, got up one by one and told Dylan Roof to his face, you know, via you know camera or whatever. Son, I forgive you. Please accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only hope that you got. You know, I, I I hate that my family's not here, but I don't hate you. I forgive you. Please accept the blood of Christ. And I still to this day, I'm like, how, like, how could you have that mindset if not that you take the gospel so seriously and you take your own depravity so unbelievably seriously? So wow. I, I guess the, that's a really long way of answering your short question, but the gospel's the answer. You keep reminding yourself that you are nothing without the gospel of Christ. And so is everybody else murderer or not.
1: No, I think uh, I think that's an excellent answer. I really pre- really appreciate that, and the uh, you know those those true life stories really put uh, put weight behind it. I think, um, <clears throat> Kyle, I really appreciate your time. Uh, this is something that uh, is, is is important to you, and I uh, I recognize that. For people who are interested in in learning more about uh, about this question, or who are uncertain like like you the things that you're talking about need uh, need a bit of, of of exposure need to be sought out and uh, considered especially by people who have not uh, thought this way before uh, what are some uh, what are some resources that uh, that you might recommend or what are some uh, some of the things that you might uh, you might counsel or suggest for them
0: yeah, so I already mentioned that uh, YouTube debate or just the, the debate on Justin Brierley's show of mm-hmm. uh, Shane Claiborne. I'll actually, if you don't mind me looking right here, I'll actually get you the exact um, – the exact number of that podcast just so people can easily look at that. Cause that was a good idea of like, Hey, here's what some people think. Okay. It's episode 370, 370 of the unbelievable podcast with Justin Brierley, Shane Claiborne versus Kyle Thompson, mass shootings, gun violence, and the USA's second amendment. So, uh, that, that would be a good one for you guys to check out on YouTube or Apple podcasts or whatever, but also on, on my podcast feed, if I can't find it in the next five seconds, I, I won't, um, I won't give it to you, but I've done a huge breakdown of what the Bible thinks about self defense and, and murder and those different things. And, um, overall, I think that that would be a good one to try and find again. I'm sorry. I don't know the, the number right off the top of my head and it doesn't look like I can find it very quickly, but what, those uh, would what be we'll good do? resources. Give, me,
1: give yeah. me a link. We'll put that in the show description and, uh, we'll just, uh, just acknowledge that that's there.
0: Yeah, we, we can look at that because uh, I, I've I've talked about it a lot on my show. So guys on Daunted Life, a man's podcast. So after the Uvalde shooting, uh, where those uh, elementary school age children were, sh- were shot, murdered, and also teachers, again, those are the moments where it's like, we're going to stand on the bodies of dead children in order to take your guns away from you. But there's also things that I wasn't able to talk about in that debate. And I believe other places, but you know, specifically like people in the UK, people walk around the UK and they look at people in the US and they're like, I don't get the the fascination with guns. And, and I think people in america some people go too far they've created idols out of their firearms you know they're printing scriptural verses on their ar-15s i was like yeah i don't think y'all got the point i don't think Mm. i don't think y'all are using that scripture properly but at the same time people in the uk are walking around as if their little bitty island will never be invaded ever again and if you if you want to know kind of what things look like in taiwan right now they're training the populace with airsoft rifles just in case the chinese invade why do you think they're doing that it's because the military of Taiwan is not able to push back the military of China. But as we can see right now with Russia invading the Ukraine, they're getting pushed back like they never expected. And it's the populace that's fighting back, not just the military. And so, again, we we get into all these different things about Second Amendment and all that because part of the Second Amendment here in the United States is so that we can push back tyranny here in this country and abroad. And that's part of the reason why if you're going to attack America, you better pack a lunch, especially when you get to the South, because you got a bunch of corn fed farm boys that are ready to throw down. And, you know, we don't have jets and we don't have tanks, but we got a lot of moxie and we got a lot of ability to push back. But I will certainly uh, get those links and get them over to you so you
1: can put them in the show notes. Perfect. Kyle Thompson, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's uh, been long in coming, and I'm uh, grateful for it. Undaunted Life is Kyle's podcast, and uh, that's the uh, the website as well, right? Undaunted.life? Yep, www.undaunted.life. You can find us all, uh, all of our stuff there. Perfect. Kyle Thompson, thanks again. I uh, really appreciate it. From all of us here at the Ezra Institute, this has been the podcast for cultural reformation. We remind you that from for from him and through him and to him are all things May God be glorified, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week.